Hey everyone, so we made it. We are at the end of the year and the end of another decade, which is so crazy and exciting at the same time. So I won't keep you long as I know that you have lives that you need to get back to, but for this last month of the year, I wanted to highlight some of my most favorite episodes of this last year. The ones that I know that you like the most, the ones that I know had the most impact in your lives and businesses, and the ones that I think really embody the entire purpose of the Influencer Podcast, which is really to help you get what you want out of life. So over the next month, you'll be hearing from amazing guests like James Wedmore, Marie Forleo, and some solo recaps, just to name a few. And if you weren't able to hear these episodes when they first aired, do yourself a huge solid and check them out after you hear the recaps this month. Now, I know the majority of our listeners love them, and I think you will too. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Solomon, a marketing strategist, brand building expert, speaker, and New York Times bestselling publicist. This is where I take you behind the scenes with today's top influencers, industry insiders, and entrepreneurs as they share step-by-step strategies to help you turn your online dreams into a purposeful and profitable business. For those who don't know who Jen Kim is, you are missing out because um, she's incredible. And we're going to talk about why she is so incredible today. But um, I know that you're in San Francisco and you're a marketing expert, but that kind of doesn't really like exactly define what you do. I'm trying to look for the word. It's it's a whole lot of things. So let's just dive into it with, with who you are. Tell us a little bit about your journey um, and how you got into the realm of marketing that you that you do so beautifully. Thank you. Well, it is definitely a journey. I think that's the best word to describe it, but I think that's what all of us founders slash entrepreneurs slash business owners are on, right? It's like, we're looking for this nebulous point B, but the truth is entrepreneurship is just a series of point A's that we're recreating at every step. And so I tell people all the time in my story, it's, you know, it's been now 22 years that I've been building brands and helping companies and, and business owners get seen, heard, and paid, um, using whatever awesome products and services that they have to give to the world. But my journey really started out in the, in the corporate world first. I, I didn't have any desires to be an entrepreneur, to be honest with you, Julie. I, I did the good Asian girl thing I say, cause I'm Asian, I'm Filipino. And, you know, I went to school and I thought, okay, I'm going to find a job with a great company. And, um, I did that actually for 12 years before I jumped the ledge and moved into starting my own business. But, you know, there's a lot of winding yarn there that we can unpack as we chat through this. But the the bottom line is when I took the step into entrepreneurship, I knew that the thing that I could do is help pick winners. That's one of my superpower in terms of a product or service that actually people want. And so I knew that I could take that skill that I had done in the corporate world and bring it into both my consulting company, as well as now I also have a campus for founders and entrepreneurs that help them utilize those brand strategies from bigger companies and apply that to their business so that they can not just get more high impact, but obviously increase their revenues and be known as 
that brand that people want to work with or buy from. So it's, I've seen both hemispheres is my point, Julie, like I've been in the corporate world and did that for a living. And then in the entrepreneurial world, that's what I do for a living in my own business. And I think that gives me an advantage because I see both sides and, um, it allows me to pivot accordingly. So Mm, I love that. And I want to talk a little bit about the master brand method, because I know that that's what you use when it comes to digital strategy with Mm -hmm. coaching. So walk us through what that is. Mm -hmm. So the master brand method is a proprietary framework that my company developed since it's been around for about 12 years since I left the corporate world. And it's the five pillars of actually building a brand that gets seen, heard, and paid. And so those five pillars are archetypes, audience, aesthetics, activation, and amplification. And so whenever we're working with a brand or a company, we use this method to filter what the messaging and the associated aesthetics and machines, I call them, that carry the message. In this case, a lot of times we the, the two machines that we help founders especially work on are both the online components, that digital piece, and what social media and other digital components they need to be focusing on for their particular brand. And then also the offline components, because part of what I think is missing a lot, Julie, in the online marketing world right now, in social media, is the advantage that brands have using an analog strategy in addition to their digital strategy. So there's a digital piece, you know, that we all know about. Um, And then there's the analog strategy that is using events or using um, in-person activations, we call them, to create more, not just acquisition of people or clients, but actually retaining and creating what we call an ambassador army for your brand that spreads the good word. And so I would say that if you're a coach or you're a service provider right now and you're not doing any analog slash offline things in your business, it's something you might want to take a look at because those that are doing that now are going to have a big advantage in the next few years um, as people crave more and more connection because digital has given us excellent ways to stand up a company, serve more people, go global, et cetera. But the flip side, because everything has duality, right? The flip side of that is that People are feeling lonely, isolated, not feeling as connected to like-minded people. Um, And so brands that do both really have an advantage. And that's something that we look at when we work with service providers specifically. Because coaches and consultants, we're in the business of helping people increase whatever they're looking to increase, right? Or or eliminate. And um, those that actually use (laughs) um, old school things like cell phones, telephones, um, <laughs> things like this, like zoom, pigeons. Um, right, pigeons, whatever. Actually, what's interesting is that's where those people are making the most revenue. And I think that in the digital world, it's also created a, a little bit of a, of a fantasy that only digital can make you money. It can, but I think that if you, you are a service provider, there's a, there's a case for going analog as well. Mm. And so what kind of walk us through a little bit of that, um, of what would be steps, right? Like actionable steps. If someone wanted to kind of dive a little bit more into that, cause we know the importance of it, but if they're missing that how piece, 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So specifically around the analog or the offline piece? Exactly. Okay. Because I think that a lot of times people either get confused or they don't really see the value in both, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think that, okay, so first let's just say that I think a lot of the reasons people don't do it is because they feel it's expensive, right? So, and it's true to put on, let's say a workshop or put on a conference or to put on even a demonstration of your products or services feels like there's more expense than there is, um, you know, than it's worth, right? When you could instead grow your social media following or use paid advertising, right. To attract your audience. Again, I don't think that digital or analog is better or worse. Okay. I think that the mix, especially if you're in the consultant or services industry or coaching industry, this is important. So the how, um, so first of all, if you were to look at how much you spend on acquisition, if you're looking to how much are you spending on, let's say Facebook ads or Instagram ads, or, you know, any of that. And then you look at what the cost of doing something in person is, it's pretty similar to be honest with you. Part of the problem with doing in-person events is that there's no goal in mind. Instead, it's more what I call a vanity event. There are a lot of vanity mm-hmm. events that happen, mm-hmm. Julie. So meaning like, okay, great. You want your brand to be seen and known as legitimate, right? And an authority, but you just do it for that. And therefore you lose a ton of money, right? And then you want, and it's, and putting on an event is work, right? There's a lot of, right. there's, there are humans that have to do the work. And so there are a lot of reasons why not to do it, but two reasons to do it. And I'll get into the how after I explain this context is when people see that you're the real deal in person, especially with, frankly, the fact that, you know, digital, again, it's, it's great, but on the flip side of it, I call online, I call online marketing and social media, the new subprime loan. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is anybody can go online, learn a little bit of marketing and then market themselves and then create a product. And that causes problems now for consumers because now they're overstimulated with, um, you know, what they're looking at and they want to make sure they're choosing the right person to work with or the right company to work with. So that's the advantage of having what I call a belly to belly conversation with your audience, which that means in person having a conversation with them. So that's a reason to do it. And the second reason is it actually shows that if you're willing to do an analog piece that you you're invested you know what I mean? You're invested in your business. So how to do that? First, you have to begin with the end in mind. So again, the goal is not to create a vanity offline activation. So it's not to create an event so that you can make it look all pretty. And then you give them great value, but it costs you so much money. You have to scramble to do another webinar or something to make money on the back end. Okay. The goal of a a well-produced offline activation is that you're going to sell your best offer in it and sell it in a way that creates extreme value. So those that create offline activations always say, what's the offer you're going to make in the room? And some people say, oh gosh, I don't want to be that salesy person, Jen, right? I don't want to, I don't want to sell something at my event. I want people to feel served. And I always say, there is a way to do that, that doesn't feel salesy, in fact, what it feels like if you don't offer them something is they got actually gypped, meaning, okay, you gave me all this value and now you're going to let me walk out of here and not do anything with the value that I got. Because I always say, if you do an offline activation, the worst part for your audience, 
uh, when they leave is re-entry into the real world. <laughs> and us as coaches, <laughs> consultants, and leaders, we have to prevent that burn through like the space shuttle, right? Because when they leave an incredible experience and then they go back to the real world and they don't have tools and solutions to help support them in that, we're actually screwing them over, you know? And so back to the how, you want to start and design your event, your workshop, your demonstration, whatever that looks like with the offer first. You don't do the agenda first. You don't do the, should I have like beautiful chair covers on the conference seats first? You actually don't even look at logistics first. Your first step is what is the offer you're going to make first, okay? Then you design everything around the offer. So here's the offer. Let's say, um, let's say you have a high ticket coaching package, right? And you know that you're looking to enroll 25 people into it for the year, right? Well, great. So now you know what the offer is. You know what the goal is. So now you know how many people you have to put in seats in the room. And then you also know how to build your agenda from that. And so your agenda comes from the offer, not vice versa. So what are the things inside of your agenda that can support why they need to do something after they leave, right? And not in a manipulative, icky way, in a way that truly serves their understanding of your process or your framework. So for example, for me, I have the master brand method. So whenever we do an offline activation for our campus, we absolutely use our framework, that those five pillars that I mentioned earlier. And that's the content because it serves the offer that's going to happen in the room. But it feels really elegant and non-icky because it's just a, you know, next step. And so when you're designing your event, if you do it that way first, then you design the aesthetics. So, you know, how do you want the room to look? How do you want it to feel? Um, how does that line up with your brand online? Is there congruence? So we actually do design and aesthetics third, not first and second. First and second is offer, then the process or framework that we're teaching, which is the value that we're giving in the room, then third is design. And so I think our approach is very different than a lot of other people. Uh, and I'm excited that I'm talking about it publicly on your amazing podcast because a lot of people don't have access to what I'm sharing. So it's kind of exciting. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's so amazing that you just broke it down like my friends, have you ever thought that you have done the hard part? You have started your business and you have taken that leap from belief into really stepping out and claiming a vision for yourself. But you know that if you want to make money doing what you love, you need other support. You need to grow. You need to scale. You need a marketing strategy. You need a lot of this stuff. Now, of course, I talk so much about these things, right? Like how to identify your target audience, where to find them, which marketing channels to focus on. So you're really making the most out of your budget. And of course, how to use things like data to set goals. But there's another great podcast that I love out there that also talks about this stuff. And it's called This is Small Business. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, answers so many of these kinds of questions. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or you're looking to take a part-time side hustle full-time, or maybe you're a few years in and you're ready to scale. This is Small Business is going to give you the practical tips that you can start using today. And I know that if you love these topics on my podcast, you're going to love them on this one too. Make sure to follow This is Small Business on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you don't miss these fantastic episodes. And a big thanks to This is Small Business for sponsoring the show. I am so honored and blessed and just excited for you to be here today. Um, you are an incredible human, um, and I cannot wait to share just your greatness with 
our audience and our amazing community of influencers and entrepreneurs and believers and dreamers today. Well, um, I'm I'm excited to come here and uh, help your tribe and your crowd to help them maybe get out of their own way, maybe find some new tools and paradigms and ways of thinking that can get them past, you know, their own doubts and resistance that can stop them. So. Absolutely. And so, I mean, for those who may not know whom you are, um, shame on these people. Yes. Who, who could these people possibly be? <laughs> Never mind. Um, I mean, peak performance coach, high performance coach, you're just, you're, you, you help people become the absolute best versions of themselves. That is always the plan of action that I have for people. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So share with us a little bit about how you got into this world of, of, of coaching elite performers and, and um, how that kind of unfolds to, to, to where yeah. you are today. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, uh, so I started out my business 22 years ago, working with athletes. They were all young teenage athletes at the time, um, all helping them with, uh, the mental game, like the inner game of, of sport. There's so much focus on, you know, the physical skill development, which of course is important and developing their, um, the, the tactical side of the, the sport. But then most of the stuff that stops an athlete as they rise higher and higher is always that, that six inches between the ears. Um, you know, whether it's coming down to worrying about what other people are thinking of them, uh, self-doubt, comparison and contrast, uh, you know, injury is a big thing that can rob someone of their confidence. And I was a, uh, athlete. I played college football. I was a national ranked badminton player, which, you know, people obvious, obviously oh. would see the connection between badminton and football. Of course. Um, you know, well, there they, you they go. go. This interview go, is done guys. <laughs> <laughs> they go hand in hand. Um, but my, my, I mean, I'm not a physically gifted human being. I'm not like six foot four and 236 pounds of solid muscle or something like that. I was, you know, six feet and maybe 156 pounds soaking wet when I was in high school but um i never let that stop me from playing to my absolute greatest capacity when i when i played football and um specifically we're kind of getting we're going to get into maybe a little bit later talking about the power of using an alter ego um or a secret identity to really transform performance and how it's the most natural thing for any human to to use and do and how it's actually it draws out of you the most authentic and real version of yourself um and tons of you know public figures and leaders and athletes and entertainers have used the idea um and so for me i would kind of take that uh, what would be considered by others that smaller version of Todd and left him on the sidelines. And I stayed and I stepped into a, um, an alter ego that would go on the field and allow me to untap a, a ton of my skills that were out there. And so anyways, after I got done playing um, sport for myself, I was volunteering at a high school, ended up um, talking to the kids more about the mental game, which was something that I was deeply involved with and always trying to find better ways to help me get past my own insecurities that I had. And um, it developed into a business. And then from there, I became quite good at it. And I elevated myself through the ranks and got to work with pro athletes, Olympic athletes, um, leaders in um, governments and business started reaching out to me. And, you know, 22 years on, um, I'm still, you know, doing it. I still, I still definitely coach, um, you know, a handful of people, but I have a lot of training programs that people now use as systems to help themselves develop their, their performance, um, and help them get on the field and execute. And, you know, I give them 
you know, the mindset strategies and tools that are proven to work. Like, I think, the, I think the one thing that frustrates me about like the personal development and self-help world is there's a lot of ideas that are shared, you know, with your crowd, um, that people see on Instagram and they sound like they're, they sound like they're great ideas and they sound like they should work. But most of the people that share those ideas, they're not practitioners. And I think if there's one kind of first takeaway for people, um, it's that if you're looking to make some real changes with yourself in whatever domain of life, you want to make sure that you're hitching your wagon uh, to the tail of someone who has who actually works with people one-on-one mm. or has at least been used, working with people one-on-one. And the reason is because the people who work with people one-on-one understand the deep nuance that it takes to help someone change something. Whereas the people who only talk about it or just blog about it, they're not confronted with the daily responsibility of performing and giving people strategies that will actually work. Because when you're working with someone one-on-one, like if I'm working with you, Julie, and I give you a strategy and then you come back tomorrow or whenever it is we're going to be meeting next and, and you go, that thing didn't work or that didn't work for me. And maybe you didn't execute it right or could, could have been something like that. And, and then we try again and, and it's still, and if I keep on giving you strategies that aren't working for you, you're not going to stick with me for a long time. Right. Right. Because, and you, and why would you? And so that's why it's so important for people that when you're truly seeking help, make sure that when you're going to finally put foot to the field of play, that you may have tucked yourself under the wing of someone who's actually doing the work not someone who just talks about it. Mm. And, and so for me, um, you know, doing this for a long time, I have a whole kind of different kit of strategies that, that work for people. But for me, I don't like inventing stuff that doesn't actually exist inside of the psychology of our minds already. Mm. Whereas I like giving people strategies that are 100% already embedded in your own psyche for how you can overcome something. And I'm just helping you flick the switch because now the grease slide is there for you. I'm not inventing, like affirmations is a good example. It sounds like it's a wonderful idea to use affirmations, but the statistics on it show that affirmations can be quite dangerous because if you're affirming to yourself something that you don't believe about yourself, it's been proven that it actually causes people to go into a more depressed state. However, if you use affirmations and you already believe something to be true about yourself, and now you're just reaffirming it to yourself to make it even stronger, that is proven to work. And so that stuff's important for me because I think in 2019, we live in a day and age where there's so much science and so much information and so much data and so much research that we should be demanding a lot more from the leaders that we follow or the people who are helping us. So question because yeah. um, I, I I get where you're going with that with that belief, right? You you have yeah. to you have to in some sense believe it, right? If you spot yeah. it, you got it. But what if you're someone who believes that you're a piece of crap? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. wake up every day and being like, I I'm not going to amount to anything. I can't grow no matter what I do. I was born into the wrong family or in the wrong yeah. city or the wrong time or I'm too old or yeah. I'm too short, fat, whatever it is. Yeah. What if that belief is so uh, you know, and whether that's just from your own upbringing, your family yeah. lineage, whatever that is, yeah. it's so ingrained in this more negative state. Yeah. How do we either, I mean, I, I don't even want to say overcome that because I don't know if you can, but how do you start to use that to where it works for you and not against you? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that are kind of embedded in that. And I, I want to first say this, 
they, for the longest time, one of the uh, great disservices of the personal development, self-help world, leadership world, is that they will trot out ideas that are things like, well, you need to just set goals or you need to maybe use affirmations or you need to go to a personal development seminar. And, and, and a lot of times, Julie, some people are in a, they are actually in a state of depression hmm. and, you know, a new personal development program won't change that because it is a biological issue. It's a chemical issue that's going on. And, and, you know, coming from someone who actually sells training programs, mm-hmm. I think that's, I think it'd be nice if more people would say that to people. Another thing is, you know, because I've been working in the world of performance and working with elite athletes for a very long time. Some of the issues are actually a biological or a digestive issue. There are, um, you know, so I actually had a client once who exhibited all those behaviors, exactly what you were talking about. Tons of self-doubt, tons of, um, uh, you know, what would be perceived as self-belief issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we, dis- we discussed them. Now, I'm not a therapist. That's not what I do. I, I work with people on performance, which means I'm constantly giving people um, new strategies or new ways to get themselves onto the field. So they're doing the things that they want to do. And they're also doing it with the right mindset. So they're actually enjoying that process, hopefully as well. Um, and, um, but I just felt like it, we had kind of butt our heads up against a, a wall enough times. And so I asked her to get a um, digestive check done. And it turned out that she had a really, really high um, level of yeast in her digestive system. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever had anything like that. I have. And um, when you've got high yeast infection inside your body, it almost feels like, well, A, it gives you a, um, a lot of lethargy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so for those people who feel like, oh, I just can't have the energy to even get going, there actually might be a digestive issue that you've got, right? right? It, might not have nothing, it might not have anything to do with whether or not you're motivated or you don't have enough desire for something or whatever. It's, it's literally your, your um, immune system is not working for you, mm. right? And, and I'll bet that, I don't know, uh, but I'll, I'm going to make a bet that that's probably one of the, I'm one of the first people that's talked about that when you've posed this type of question to people. Oh, for sure. Right? I mean, right? yeah, and, and that, everyone thinks it's all in the mind and, and no. never, but what's interesting, I've heard this once that actually the first cell that is created when we're in the embryo, mm-hmm. it's, it's the gut, but then your gut then becomes your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's why, like, yeah. Yeah. And that's why you'll find glial cells, which are almost like brain cells that um, are also inside of the gut, gut region. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so going back to your, but if, if, so I'm just saying, I'm trying to get, approach, you know, all of your, uh, like the listener as, as a holistic individual, there are many reasons and ways um, that, that might be preventing someone from feeling like they can take the action that they want. But if let's say we remove the, the other things and, you know, move around, move, move depression to the side, or we remove, you know, digestive issues or something like that. Um, you know, if you, if you truly are in a position where that narrative and that story that you tell yourself is that you're someone who just will, will probably never be that one that gets to quote unquote, make it or something like that. The first thing to recognize is that's your belief. It's not a, it's not a truth. Right. Um, and that's going to be easy. Like you can intellectually get, I know, I, I know I believe this, but I've been living this for so long, Todd, like it's been such a long time. Well, here's the thing. And this is the power of the idea that I shared earlier, Julie, you and I know, like, I mean, you and I, we, we, 
uh, for the everyone that's listening, we, we we got connected at a at a dinner recently. We sat next to each other. We were not the best dinner table guests because we literally just got you know into a vortex of a conversation with each other, and um, we weren't we weren't very good guests to the people who were sitting around us. Um, but we just connected on so many different levels. But we we all know the importance of having allies and friends and or coaches or mentors or people that are just great influences on our lives. And we all know the power of a great Rolodex. Everyone understands that. People have heard network, network, network for a long time. So we all understand that in our world, the, the better the quality of the people that we're around, the higher the likelihood of us achieving a lot of our success because the great reality of life is when you're always within hand's reach or arm's reach of someone who can introduce you to someone or help you out in some sort of way, open a door for you, whatever the case is, it makes the... Um, the, the, the pathway to success just a lot easier. So we all understand that in our environment, that's important. However, my job is to help people to develop a strong ally between the six inches of their own ears because many people are not their best internal ally. They can beat themselves up. They doubt themselves. They um, throw a lot of slings and arrows at themselves. And the idea of an alter ego, which, you know, I just wrote this book. Um, uh, we hit the Wall Street Journal's bestseller list with it. And it's what I'm known for in pro sports and with uh, leaders and entertainers, which is building out alter egos for people. And it can sound strange to everyone until they realize that every single person that's listening to this has already used this idea. You mm -hmm. used it when you were younger, when, you're, um, when you tapped into your creative imagination at its absolute peak. Um, in fact, science shows us that up until the age of seven, most, or not most, children are um, uh, engaged in what's called the theta brainwave state. The theta brainwave state is the most creative problem-solving state. That's why, like, I mean, you know, I've got little ones. I know that um, uh, you do as well. And uh, when you, when I sit back and watch my little four-year-old Sophie play with her dolls, like, it's it's real. Like it's all right there. And she's, it's, it's so fascinating to watch, but she's engaged with her creative imagination. She hasn't learned through adulthood to try and stunt that stuff. And so when we're younger, we play with the ideas of, um, you know, being our favorite superhero as we jump off the couch to see how far we can go, or, you know, our step into our favorite athlete on the front driveway to try and embody the characteristics and traits that they have as we try to do new moves or whatever. And we try these ideas on all the time to see what we could do. Like, what could I do if I was this person? Okay. And buried in our past when we were children is the powerful idea that many, 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 many exceptional human beings have used to help them navigate life with more great and more grace, more, more, more grit and more grace. Sorry. And so we use this idea of an alter ego and it comes from Cicero, who is a Roman philosopher. He's the first person to say the term and its root means the other eye or trusted friend. So getting back to the whole idea of allies um, in the external world, an alter ego ends up being a powerful force for you to bring internally, to bring a trusted friend and ally to help you move past the negative narrative that you might have right now. And you go, you know what? I'm going to say, so if it's Julie, I get it. You doubt yourself. You have a tough time seeing yourself being successful. And so let's honor the fact that you've got some wounds and narratives from the past that seem to, you know, be like puppet strings that hold you back. 
But what if you played through the idea of untapping? Who's someone that you really admire, Julie? Let's see. Um, Lady Gaga. Okay. So what is it about Lady Gaga that you like just you, whether it's look up to or you admire the qualities of her? Yeah, she's she's very versa- versatile. She's unapologetically authentic to who she is. She is constantly growing and mm-hmm. learning and pushing herself to just new levels. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there seems to be that it, it doesn't come, it doesn't seem to come from a controlled space. Yeah. But more from just this confidence of of kind of knowing that she's gonna get herself to as far as she can get herself to. And yeah. then it's like God or the universe or whatever that is for people is is then gonna take her to that next level. It's so funny that you bring up Lady Gaga because Lady Gaga has explicitly even mentioned the fact that she has used an alter ego to become the most best version of herself. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that many people who really do love uh, Lady Gaga, what they appreciate about her is they feel like she's really authentic. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because she's so gregarious or she's so effusive in her uh, creativity that the big takeaway from her is that people feel like she's truly her authentic self. And yet she used this idea of Lady Gaga to allow that, what I call in the book, the heroic self to show up for herself, right? Mm. She didn't stay stuck in the narrative of where she grew up and her past. She invented and created herself. And this is really, really important for everyone to understand is that we as human beings, our greatest superpower that you have that to recognize this is so important is we have got a creative imagination. Hi, Natalie. It's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I would love just to kind of dive on into how you got into the world of, of bossing and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I'm a really cliche story. I started entrepreneurship when I was about 13. I had my first company, which was designing websites. And it kind of all just went from there. I was always obsessed with this idea of taking something and making it into a product or something that would help people, that would make money. And it just kind of stepped up from there. And I kind of never really had a proper job or real job, as you call it. And um, from that, how did that transition into kind of the online space that um, that you have cultivated and that you see yourself in now with your partner? Yeah, so when I started my first ever proper company out of university, it was a product-based business. And we were actually manufacturing superfood products and shipping them from the UK all over the world. But the kind of journey to get to that point was really difficult. And I thought I could kind of design a product and have it manufactured. It would take a few months and we'd be good to go. And it turned out this process was over 12 months of development. And in that time, you're spending a lot of time kind of twiddling your thumbs, waiting for getting samples back, different things like that. And so what I started to do was study Instagram. Um, And at the time, it was only just really starting to take off. It was the kind of time where if anyone had 10,000 followers, you thought they were really famous. Um, And so I remember just studying Instagram as much as I possibly can. I used to spend morning and night on it and just thinking, okay, if I can nail this, then I probably don't need a marketing budget. It was 
like when Instagram first started, there was so much buzz around health and fitness and um, those kind of influencers. So that's what I started doing. And throughout that and throughout the journey of um, having this first business, which was a real success when we launched, we actually were shipping to over 60 countries in just a few weeks. And then we were in over 200 stores across the UK and that all came from Instagram. So but, but that success really taught me that uh, business and entrepreneurship can be a really lonely journey. I'd never kind of known what to expect from any of this. And I started this business and it was great on the outside, but on the inside, it was just terrifying. I truly had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying things and if they worked great and if they didn't, I would try something else. And I felt like I didn't really have many people around me that I could talk to. My family just weren't entrepreneurs and they didn't really get it. My friends didn't. Um, they just went kind of straight from university to corporate jobs and they thought that I was kind of throwing my life away by not kind of going and taking the corporate job that I'd been offered. Um, and I found it really, really lonely. So I started to lean in a lot to these online groups and find other women just like me. And then eventually it came to me pairing my passion for meeting other female entrepreneurs online with knowing how to really grow and scale and monetize Instagrams. And that kind of come together and is what I'm doing right now with Boss Babe. Um, and it's just been the most incredible journey. Um, Boss Babe has just been growing so, so much. And I truly believe it's those two things combined with our really strong mission, which is why all of this took off in the first place. Yes. And let's dive into uh, Boss Babes for a moment. So for those who may not know, um, what is it and, and how do you use Boss Babes as a way to not only inspire, but educate and give a lot of entrepreneurs or aspiring female entrepreneurs out there the tools and the tactics and the strategies that they need to actually have and grow a profitable online presence. Yeah. So Boss Babe is one of the largest communities of ambitious women and female entrepreneurs in the world. It's incredible. We have about 1.5 million women following us across the world and how we really aim to support women and kind of push them further in their business is a few different ways, but the main one is our membership. It's called The Society. It is one of my favorite products in the entire world. It is basically everything I needed when I was younger. So we brought together some incredible experts. We put it together in a membership where you can be in a community with a bunch of like-minded women and we kept the cost really low. So that membership's kind of like the foundation of the business. But beyond that, we have a podcast where we invite amazing guests on to talk all about their journey of entrepreneurship. And I think what's really, really important to use my channel to share is the behind the scenes. It's this idea that not everything is as perfect as it seems on Instagram, because I think a lot of people can see your success and forget that there's a whole journey behind that. So that's something we love to highlight on the podcast podcast. We do um, events all over the world. Um, we have an incredible Instagram program and a mastermind program. So lots of different ways, but the main thing for us is to just be able to provide those specific bits of information, as well as the confidence, the tips, the tricks, because also kind of building on from that, one of the things that we have found um, is holding a lot of women back is this confidence. It's lack of confidence or doubting themselves or seeing what everyone else is doing and getting put off that they're not that far ahead. And so big part of our platform is to provide women with that confidence kick daily. We call it like a daily shot of virtual espresso. Um, so you'll see on our Instagram, all of these amazing quotes that are so inspirational, but also make you feel like a bit badass. So yeah, the daily um, espresso was definitely one of our favorite ways of just being able to connect with our audience daily. 
Oh, I love that. And um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the monthly membership. I mean, you just shared kind of what it is and why you decided to do it. But I would love to talk about it more from a behind the scenes perspective, because um, a lot of people that listen to this podcast, they want to create their own products and services and, um, you know, a service that any entrepreneur can create, especially if they have um, education to share is a monthly membership. And I think monthly memberships can be phenomenal, but I would love, cause I know that you have built a seven figure monthly membership and have done very, have seen a lot of success and done very well with your monthly membership. But I know that there can be some challenges that come with that retention, uh, creating new content, finding experts to come in and lead content. So how have you been able to not only navigate the monthly membership space, but I would love to hear what challenges have you faced throughout the growth of that? What are things that you kind of had to learn along the way to keep the retention going and to keep it consistently growing and successful? Mm, such a good question. I feel like I could talk memberships all day. Yeah. So our membership, I call it like the blood in our veins. It's the part of our business that is just growing month on month without us having to really do much with it in terms of growth. Like it very much grows itself through referrals now, which is amazing. But as you said, there's a lot of things you need to consider when setting the membership up. So for us, it was really important that we could get a product out there at scale and to a lot of people, because if you've got a low priced membership and you don't have the scale to be able to get it out there, then chances are it's not going to generate you enough revenue to want to keep doing it. It only really works if you can do that. So I think it all starts with being able to have this really solid marketing plan that can help you reach a lot of people. And then beyond that, you need to kind of consider how you're going to run it. Is it going to be evergreen so that it's constantly open and no one really, for us, people had a real reason to join in the beginning because we opened up these spots for founding members, which was, they would never get that price ever again and it would be closing and we didn't know when we were going to reopen. And for us, that was a big risk because say we only got 10 people in and then we're calling it a membership and we're not opening doors for another few months because we've said we wouldn't. That could have been really scary, but we really prepped beforehand and did the projections and thought, you know what, we've got a really good chance of getting a couple of thousand people in here as founding members. So let's go ahead and do it that way first. So we did that and then we decided to close the doors and that was an amazing thing for us. It really taught us the power of keeping kind of a closed space and it allowed us to really find our feet in the membership and understand what we were doing before we then put more attention on growing. We had to focus on the retention piece. So there's lots of kind of bits within it that we focus on. The biggest thing for us is retention and customer success and happiness because without that, your membership's eventually going to stop unless you're constantly generating new leads. It's going to stop. And like people always say, the best way to make money in your business is to focus on the people that are already paying you, the clients you already have. So we started very much hands-on getting feedback from people. We'd be posting in the group almost every day, like, how did you find this? What about this? And asking them lots of questions. And we pulled together kind of a little a mastermind group of society girls who could give us direct feedback on what the other girls were saying, because it was this kind of place where they were all talking amongst amongst each other and we felt like we needed to be able to get in and understand that and then after a few months we started to um, learn what our lifetime value was and what this means is the kind of average value of a member when they come in and how long they're going to stay for and so once we had that um, we were able to then decide okay we've got a lifetime value of this so we have this amount of budget to go and spend on bringing new members in which helped us to shape our acquisition um, kind of plan for moving forward. But 
for an entire year, we didn't open Evergreen. We kept it closed. We just did three launches that year and we tested different things at each launch. So one was the founding members. Um, the second test was trying to get more annual subscriptions as opposed to monthly. And the third was doing a free trial for five days instead of just going out there and doing a straight sale. And that one year of testing for us was incredible and really taught us a lot about the marketing side. And then beyond that, we really built a, a full team whose focus was the society and the retention. And they were on those metrics. And we still are every single week trying to understand, okay, if retention drops, this is why. So we analyze everything we did that week and we try to kind of correlate. And it's kind of grown from there the retention piece, but it's one of those things we're constantly learning and constantly having to have our finger on the pulse with. And then in terms of creating content, as you said, a big part of membership is being able to have consistent content. And for us, um, being kind of ahead of the curve is really important because even um, we were supposed to launch a success kit in April. And when we got the content back, it wasn't what we needed it to be. And we're, we have a really high bar when it comes to putting content in there. So we were like, okay, we can't do that for April. Let's pull someone else in. So um, having kind of six months of content planned is really, really important for us. And then we just kind of have criteria of what we look for when people are coming in to collaborate. Um, we really like to see some evidence that they are a kind of real genius in that specific zone and they've had a successful business that what they're teaching we know is legitimate and really is going to work for our members and then we work very very hands-on with them to help them create content and what's been really helpful for us and I highly recommend everyone else do it if you've got a membership is provide really easy processes and templates for anyone coming in to create content for you so make sure you've created your own slides you've got handbooks um, they can see something where all the branding is there your copy voices there so that whatever they submit to you really works and giving them examples of, of kind of past content that you've done. So when we sign someone on to do a success kit, we send them all, like all of this info that they need. We give them a, a quite a big deadline to get it back to us. And then if there's any tweaks, we work with them on it. Um, but yeah, there's so much to learn when it comes to membership. But if you have got the ability to get it out there kind of at scale, I think it is one of the most incredible things you can do for your business. All right. That is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram, head on over to our Facebook group at the Influencer Podcast, and let me know your thoughts about today's show. All right. I will see you again, same time, same place next week. <laughs>